Hey everyone, welcome to Unrefined Women. I'm your co-host Agnes. And I'm Margaret. This podcast is an ongoing dialogue between two sisters on the topics of spirituality, religious trauma, family dynamics, mental health, and feminism. We're very grateful you could be here with us today. Today we have our very first guest, Margie from iMargie Nation. So I have actually known Margie a good chunk of my life. She and I were actually the two Margarets at church growing up. Both of us are girls from big families that were raised in the Catholic church. So she and I have a lot of history together. But anyway, that's not why she's here today. We are actually going to be talking about Ashra. So this was very informative for both me and Agnes because we both know little to nothing about Ashra, and I'm suspecting that probably most of our audience knows very little to nothing about Ashra. And as we're going to learn today, Ashra is actually a goddess who was written out of the Bible. And there's actually rumors just based on biblical text and historical texts and different archaeological records that Ashra may actually be God's wife. Now with this episode, I really walked into it knowing nothing about the topic. Um, I barely even heard this name Ashra in the past, but I think this conversation really opened up windows for me around the Bible and around religion and, you know, what, what the Bible could be, what religion could be. But unfortunately, patriarchy and power and institutions have taken that from us. Absolutely. And I think we all kind of know that the last few thousand years has really been dominated by the masculine energy, almost like a toxic masculine energy. We really have been cut off from both the divine masculine energy and divine feminine energy. And I just feel like, especially after like recording this episode with Margie, I just really feel like that maybe Ashra and us learning about her could be some of the first steps to really connecting with the divine feminine energy. So we're really excited to dive in to this episode. We hope that you all love Margie just as much as we do. Hello. Hello. How is everybody today? good i'm great (laughs) doing good margie how are you you're doing good today yes yes all right thank you thank you for joining us on unrefined women you are our official first guest on the podcast (laughs) that seems appropriate (laughs) (laughs) yeah known you practically your whole life so i know we like were the two margarets at church together when we were little We have the same name almost. You're Margaret Mary Elizabeth Joan, and I'm Margaret Mary Joan. Exactly. And our last yeah. names have the same initials. So we did. Yeah. I forgot about that. We had the same initials. It was not confusing at all. Not confusing at all. No, of course not. I like that. I mean, the Saint Joan, of course, you know, she was this Catholic saint who got to wear pants and go into battle, even though she was a woman. So what's not to love? I know, exactly. Yeah. So. All right, so we're going to call you Margie today. Is that okay on our yeah. episode to, to, you know, just to not have all the confusion with all the Margarets. So Margie, um, why don't you just introduce yourself to our audience and give us, give them a little spiel on who you are. 
Yeah. So I'm Margie. Uh, I was raised in traditional Roman Catholicism. I'm the third oldest of nine. And I left the church when I couldn't reconcile a loving God and the belief that I was disordered for being bisexual. And that led me down a path of deconstructing the faith I was raised in because I was an extremely devout Catholic, but I needed like mental freedom in order to leave the church entirely. I wanted to kill the Catholic guilt. And in order to do that, I had to disprove it. <laughs> and uh, my dad, it has uh, nine tenths of a doctorate in philosophy and then went to law school. So I was raised by a philosopher lawyer who logicked his way through explaining the faith to all of us. So I had to logic my way out of it to leave entirely and be mentally free. And what I discovered is going, when you look at history from an unbiased perspective, when you look at philosophy, theology, and like, who were the people teaching these things, you come up with some radically different conclusions than those that we've been, been told. Um, and it starts to look more like Western civilization has been indoctrinating people into a specific narrative, not so much that they've been presenting the whole story. Um, I read Eckhart Tolle, Dolores Cannon, and Dr. Joe Dispenza, and my whole, I had a spiritual awakening and I realized, you know, we're all one consciousness, we're all one divinity, and religion has been trying to keep us from realizing that this whole time. So, yeah, now I have um, a TikTok and an Instagram called, it's at i.margie.nation, imargination, and I post essentially heretic my heretical beliefs deconstructing Catholicism and deconstructing capitalism and basically everything I was brainwashed into I then had to unbrainwash and now I put it on public out in the open in public so that other people can deconstruct with me because I think it's fascinating and apparently some other people do too so well and that's why you're here today yeah <laughs> and so today I believe we're going to be speaking about Ashra. Now, I've actually heard her name pronounced many different ways. I've heard Ashra, Ashra, Ashira, Ashira. So how do you pronounce her names, just so we have an understanding? I call her Ashra, but all of those names are probably legitimate. And, you know, what how do, what the fuck do we know of how the ancient Hebrews pronounced it? So right. <laughs> she comes yeah. to us from before the Torah. So if you think about it in that sense, because the Torah developed as an oral tradition, but it wasn't written down for a really long time. So by the time they they wrote it down, like she'd already been worshipped for, I think, like seven centuries. Wow. wow. Okay. So so can you give us a little introduction to Asherah? Who is she? And when, yeah. do you happen to know when uh, the earliest records of her existence? I So we know that she was worshipped prior to the 7th century and we know that Solomon and David worshipped her. There's some um, she had her own section of Solomon's temple which was destroyed in 586 BC so she was worshipped for hundreds of years before the temple was destroyed in order to have her own spot. Um, but essentially she was a Hebrew fertility goddess and she's been written out of the narrative as the narrative got got more and more monotheistic and the Hebrew people started to believe in the one true God and started to say that she was a, a cult fertility goddess and that she was not a true goddess. But um, the funny part about that is like there's like Jeremiah in 44, 17 says, we will burn incense to the queen of heaven and pour out drink offerings. So prophet Jeremiah was like, yeah, she's the queen of heaven. And then uh, David and Solomon, there's biblical scholars who look at it from 
a different perspective, right, than the one that we were told, who say that the Song of Songs was intended to be a love story between Yahweh and his Asherah. And if you go read the Song of Songs, you're like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. It's very sexual, it's very abundant, but there's a lot of fertility references, and Asherah was the goddess of fertility. And it makes a lot of sense, too, when you think about ancient indigenous cultures, which is really what the Hebrew people were, why would they only worship a male god when women are the source of life? So it kind of makes sense, at least to me, that they would worship them as a pair. Um, and the evidence very much suggests that they did, which is fascinating because then she got rewritten out or written out. And so you have to ask, hmm, why did they do that? Wow. See, this is so fascinating. I've heard of the Song of Songs before, you know, and that this is really held up, uh, especially within people in Christianity as just the, like the epitome of marriage, I guess, or, or love yeah. and sex. But I had no idea that there was this that that you know the song of songs could was was it yahweh you said yahweh yeah yahweh and his, yep wow that makes so much sense though with her being the goddess of fertility right and what i think is this is a little bit tangential but yahweh means i am who am in hebrew and most people forget that because it's just the name of god but it's i am who am and the reason we gave him that name is because he spoke to moses through a bush Moses never saw him. So if you believe in things like, you know, it's very similar to what they do in indigenous cultures when they undergo their coming of age ceremonies and they take particular um, medicines, you know, some people call them drugs, but really they're me herbal medicines in order to experience the divine, like psilocybin. Like, it's really not a crazy concept to think Moses was talking to God through a bush, but it was actually in his own head. So really Moses was discovering consciousness. Oh, interesting. Wow. Now, is there a connection? Because I've heard this rumor before. Is there a connection between Asherah and cannabis? Do you know anything about that? I heard, I heard a rumor about some link between the two of them. Or is it just that Asherah and the people that, that worshipped her were very into plant medicine? That's... I haven't specifically heard of the cannabis reference, but it wouldn't surprise me if she was because she was associated with it in some way because she was the female goddess of fertility and life and like um moses at one point plants a tree in her honor after they win a battle or something like she was first someone who you planted trees in favor of so why not a marijuana plant right and that's definitely possible so trees is there a connection between ashra and the tree of life well so she was kind of worshipped as the source of all life um and then what happened so she was originally um, the mother goddess. And when they rewrote the narrative, they turned her into a tree in order to tell people like, oh, this, they were talking about a tree, not a mother goddess. Because the Bible went through heavy rewrites in order to cover up the fact that Asherah was a female goddess who was worshipped in tandem with Yahweh as his wife. So oh, wow. as you like... In the Latin, there's almost no references to her. You have to go back to the Hebrew because every time she was mentioned, they would add in the word a share pole, essentially, is how they would translate it. So they're basically like, oh, there was a there was a, a block of wood. There was a stick. There was a pole in the ground. Or maybe there was a tree, like depending on the passage. But they're very much like, oh, no, it was a pole. <laughs> that wasn't oh. a female goddess. And then and then you go back to the Hebrew and you're like, well, but there are some there's so much evidence. Um like uh, they found a, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but uh, in Kunjilat Ajarud, they found an inscription um, 
like a stone inscription and it's got two figures together and they believe it's Yahweh and his Asherah and this dates from the 8th century BC um, but they're they're together they're working together they're in tandem they were worshipped together the ancient Hebrews like before they came up with this concept of the one true God and we all started worshipping Jesus and the Old Testament God is a solitary God there was a mother goddess and they just kind of wrote her out and turned her into a pole. So my question, Agnes here, my question is, um, when did you first learn about Asherah? Like, have you ever heard of her prior to your break away from Catholicism? So I, I would say this, this happens in three parts. Um, that they don't, teach you anything about Asherah in the Catholic tradition ever. No one ever mentions the female Hebrew goddess of fertility who was written out of the Bible. Um, but that's mostly because they aren't taught it. And most Catholics, um, what's interesting about the Latin mass in particular is that you only hear the same sequence of readings from the Bible over and over. They repeat the exact same sequence. That's how the Tridentine Mass is. When they redid it in Vatican II, they put it on a different rotation. So you would hear the whole Bible over the course of four years. But for the first almost 2,000 years of church history, or at least probably since the 5th century, you would only hear in the traditional Tridentine Mass the same readings over and over and over again. You don't wow. hear the, the weird little parts that nobody ever really reads. You have to remember people didn't even get to read the Bible for most of history. So you were completely dependent on the church to tell you what they wanted you to know. And if your readings are the same every single year, which is what it is in the Tridentine calendar, they repeat the same exact readings, the same exact feast days. It's very, um, it's very routine. It's almost like they're trying to trap people's brains in an ego pattern in order to keep them in that ego pattern forever, in my personal opinion. But it's very routine. It's very scheduled. It's very regulated. And so it's not surprising that Asherah is kind of this like surprise that pops up when heretics start examining the ancient Hebrew text because they spent centuries trying to cover it up. Like this goes back to when they first started translating the Bible into Latin, you know, like there's been a good 1500 plus years of making sure that people don't find out about Asherah because she was the matriarchal goddess and they really don't want women to think that we're divine. <laughs> Yeah. So, oh, go ahead, Agnes. <laughs> um, what about Christians, like modern day Christianity? Like, because I know a lot of Christians are very, um, they religiously study the Bible. You know, their Instagram bio is like Proverbs something. <laughs> so, how, like, because you were mentioning with uh, the Catholic Church, they don't, they're just repeating the same shit over and over again. Um, and Margaret and I touched on this briefly, but, um, I'm not at growing up Catholic and going to a super strict Catholic school. We've never really read the Bible. We didn't really learn about the <laughs> ironic, Bible. isn't it? For going <laughs> like, to a Catholic I really, school. I, I really don't know that much about the Bible. Like, and I'm from like a really strict Catholic <laughs> school. So I, I don't know, I guess what is like, what is your opinion about like the Christian versions of the Bible? Um, I, I think they're all essentially fruit of the poisonous tree because most of them are very still heavily reliant on the old Latin translations. Um, and I'm blanking on the saint name right now. I want to say Jerome, but I'm not 100% sure, but I'm fairly certain it was St. Jerome who was translating the Bible. And, uh, there's this Bali Zahar, 
that name, he translates it to Lucifer in one part of the Bible. Like he takes names that have nothing to do with like ancient Hebrew names that have nothing to do with Lucifer or Satan and translates them to that. And Lucifer originally meant morning star. And then you find out his political rival was named Lucifer. So he translated the Bible to like smear his political, like it's, oh it's, it's, all kind of, it's bullshit. Like you're like, Oh my God, a bunch of men translated the Bible and then decided it was holy text. But when they translated it, they threw in little tidbits like that because little tidbits oh. like that are all over the Bible. Like, um, there's the famous passage in Leviticus that everyone uses, for example, to condemn homosexuality. Man shall not lie with another man as with a woman. It is an abomination. And that's like, oh, no, gay people are so bad. They're going to hell. That's how they tell explain that passage. But the original Hebrew says man shall not lie with a young boy, boy. as with oh. a woman. And the reason they even have that in there is because in ancient Greece, pederasty was a huge problem. And they were familiar with what they're doing in ancient Greece. So they were like, yeah, we don't do that here. We don't fuck little boys. That's gross. Um, but in Greece, that was quite common. Older men would essentially groom and mentor younger boys. But part of that mentoring process, because they would stop sleeping with them once they were like of age, apparently. Like grown men, they didn't fuck each other once they were grown men. They only liked to fuck them before they were like 20. So. Oh, my God. Yeah, different. But you know, it's interesting because we're going to have to make a major trigger warning on this episode, but um, the Catholic Church just wants to protect their their pedophilic ways, you know. Honest to God. To, I, to, any, to any degree. Like, I would not be surprised because the Romans continued in their sexual, um, whatever you want to call them, profanities i don't know obscenities like the romans were sexually promiscuous people there's no real reason to think that constantine stopped doing whatever the fuck it was the rest of the romans were doing when he took over the christian church and started calling it the catholic yeah mm -hmm. interesting and and uh, agnes you had a question earlier too about uh you know what's the christian I guess the Christian view of Asherah, right. you know, and, and I'm curious if someone were to open a Bible, are they going to see the name Asherah in anywhere in there or Asherah pole or what was, you had a reference to her. Right. So gonna, Jeremiah 4, 4, 19 is one particular one. Um, and then she appears in, where are my notes? In Kings 2, 21, 17. She's also in there. It tells us that she has 400 prophets. Um, I don't think I wrote down the verse from Solomon, but Deuteronomy says that Deuteronomy 33, number two says that Yahweh comes down the mountain with his Asherah. And then of course, if you believe that song of songs is a love letter from Yahweh to his Asherah, then that entire book is essentially about, look, a divine model of human relationships that you could follow. Look at that. And what do they do? They have sex and eat fruit. We've gotten it so wrong the whole time. <laughs> so <laughs> Yahweh and his Asherah, I mean, that's such an interesting thing. It's It sounds very intimate. It sounds very loving the way they even phrase it. Yeah. And it, it I think it was always intended to be that way. Society's uh, Asherah was worshipped by female uh, matriarchs primarily who functioned I mean I don't think there was anything that the male priests did that the female matriarchs didn't do but for whatever reason they're called matriarchs instead of female priests so which is fascinating because it's like well maybe if misogynists hadn't been writing down things because maybe we weren't really teaching women how to write then maybe 
this would have been, you know, there were female priests the whole time, but they would make sacrifices to Asherah on her altar. And as part of the, uh, it had its own separate part of Solomon's temple, which is yeah. another part. Yeah, she got written out, but Solomon and David worshipped her. They believed that she was God. So it's only later generations that start to say, oh, no, they were worshipping a cult. David, your king? Really? Okay. Cult goddess? I don't think so. If you believe he's the one true king of Israel or whatever, which is what they believed, then he probably wasn't wrong for worshipping Asherah. But mm, Interesting. So do we know, like, do we, is there any records or anything that show us at what point, um, Ash, you know, that Judaism became monolithic and then they started writing Asherah out of the Bible? Is there any indication approximately what century this started happening in? So they don't, so when you go back, um, there's no anti-Asherah propaganda prior to the 7th century. Okay. So it starts somewhere around there. And uh, from what I've read, what essentially happened is that uh, Yahweh's priests wanted more power. And so they started taking over things that used to be traditional goddess worship. So like you would traditionally sacrifice to the goddess for like, a plentiful harvest or something. So if they start taking over her rituals, then she's gradually getting reduced and reduced. But it's about power over the people. It's not actually about, it's not that the goddess ever changed, right? It's just that their worship of her slowly started to diminish as the men took more power and the matriarchy started to shrink, which you see as well, like, yeah, <laughs> clearly today, men took yeah. over. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Clearly, yeah. still today, women are still not welcome on the altar in most Christian and Catholic circles. Not all. There are some female priests. But by and large, for whatever reason, we're still very much the descendants of Rome and Greece who believe that women can't communicate effectively with the divine and don't belong on the altar. So, yeah, I, I never was told thought that. of it that way. Yeah, but yeah. see, my parents told me that women are not allowed to go past the communion rail. And mm -hmm. I, I mean, I think they even went so far as to say it was a mortal sin. You know, it's just <laughs> sinful that a woman dare go on the altar. That's a man's job. <laughs> right. I think it was a sin before Vatican II. And then they started allowing female altar servers. And then all the Tridentine Catholics go, sin, sin, sin. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. 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 But it's really not a radical concept, especially... Uh, what I find funny is if you go back and look at um, the baptism practices when Jesus and the early Christians were around, everybody was getting baptized naked. Um, these women were not stripping for their for a male priest. They, they were getting baptized by female deacons because they were all getting baptized naked in the Jordan. So like the women would have their own separate baptismal rites being baptized by other women because they're doing it naked. But somehow there are no more female deacons, no more female priests by the time we get to this century because they just started stomping all of them out. Wow. That's so you that's also have to remember like... priests used to be able to get married. Sorry, not to interrupt you. No, but no. For no, a really no, long time, priests used to get married and have families. And then I don't remember the exact year, but they stopped at some point and it became this weird celibacy thing and that's when they really started honing in on chastity and things like that then we have yeah like the rise of the purity culture right and that just like that's something that has really boggled my mind like my whole life like why priests can't get married i mean it just seems i don't know i wonder this is my theory i wonder if um the issue with molestation and pedophilia 
could that could would it be less if priests were not like expected to be celibate and they were allowed to get married I don't know. That's just a thought. I mean, I I definitely think so. It's very clear in the Old Testament. You can't read the Song of Songs and not think that humans weren't meant to have sex. I don't think so. Like, that's that's kind of ludicrous. Um, But sexual energy is also creative energy. And when you realize, like, if you stagnate your sexual energy, you're also stagnating your creative energy. And so I think, like, it's, I think eventually that the church partially I I agree with you that there would be less abuse, but I think that part of the reason why they make priests be celibate is because they want them to be very egoic and to fulfill their role in society. And if you want to make someone fulfill their role in a very rigid way, you take away their sexual pleasure. Mm. You make it a sin. Like, think about it. But that's That's what they did to women, too. That's what they did to us. Because... uh, the Catholic church makes it a sin, right? For a woman not to um, allow her husband to orgasm inside her every time. They call this concept being open to life, right? I mean, we were all raised in this. Every time you have sex, your husband gets to orgasm inside you. Mm-hmm. Right. But like what that actually does to the woman is it takes her out of, in my opinion, anyway, I cannot possibly enjoy sex thinking that I might get pregnant this time. Um, and like, that's not a thing. Um <laughs> And I don't think for most women it's a thing. Even the very religious women who claim that they enjoy being open to life, I have a hard time believing that they're actually happy about potentially having a baby every single time they have sex. That seems like a lot to worry about. That seems like a lot of anxiety. That seems like a lot of thinking and, st- and, and like intellectualizing around something that should be free, creative being, you know? Like it should yeah. be a beautiful thing that you just do. But instead, if you put all of these rules and regulations around it, then people have to put on their thinking brain just to do something extremely natural that we are all made to do and experience. And what that does is it essentially kills pleasure because you can't really experience pleasure if you're in your head the whole time. That's right, because why... you... Oh, go ahead, Agnes. Sorry. <laughs> That's why most women from religious backgrounds um, really struggle with um, having an orgasm. Like yeah. Most women spend years or even their entire lives being like, what even is a female orgasm? And they're so embarrassed to even talk about it in yeah. a lot of cases because it's seen as like shameful for some reason for women to talk about sexual pleasure, which is silly. But yeah, no, when I first started having sex outside of marriage, oh, the scandal. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I, did, I had trouble orgasming. Like, it's just hard to get out of your head and actually experience that. And for a long time, I would experience more like, like really short, quick ones. And that felt more like a release of a buildup of pressure. And it wasn't until I deconstructed stuff and like freed my brain from this belief that sex was bad or dirty and started to just like embrace sexual energy that it was like, oh, okay, actually, when you're really in the moment, you can do it multiple times um, and like really enjoy it. But it's not something you can do if your brain is going, this is a sin, this is a sin, this is a sin. And you're like, okay, okay. That's what the Catholic Church does. It molds people's egos for them. It's why they wrote Asher out. She was the female goddess of fertility and sexual pleasure. Like, imagine if the Christian church was going around teaching people to act the way they do in the Song of Songs. It would be a very different church. But it would be a church of free people who enjoyed sex and loved each other instead of the one we got. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, what a concept to think about 
how different the world could, how different the world could be because the world's so influenced by the church and the church's teachings. Yeah, because we could talk about sex as if it was a beautiful, loving thing and mm-hmm. instead of a shameful, dirty thing. Because I, I I've, I've heard this from a lot of um, people who are still Catholic, that they also struggled after they got married with changing their mental view of sex. It doesn't automatically go away with a wedding ring. When you're indoctrinated yeah. into believing that it's bad and sinful, it's hard to relax and enjoy it, even if you have the ring and do things the right way or whatever. Yeah, because I don't, I don't, in my head, it doesn't make sense that you get married, you go to the altar, you say, I do. And then suddenly this, this switch gets flipped in your body because your entire body's been programmed all the way up until this moment that you can't think about sex. You can't mm-hmm. have sex. You can't talk about sex. Like everything is this taboo thing brushed under the rug. And now you've just uh, said your wedding vows and now you're supposed to just flip all of that programming right. that was pounded into you from during your formative years. Yeah. And there's, it's interesting that you say that too, because um, part of the Christian model of marriage that we've been handed down is this idea that women should be submissive to their husbands. And I think that's also part of the problem culturally and why women struggle, struggle with orgasm because we're not made to be submissive in bed. I don't think, I think all humans are made to kind of own their sexual pleasure and like embrace that. But if you're mentally told that, you know, you have to be submissive, you have to be a good little housewife, it changes how you view sex for yourself. You're you're someone providing sex to someone else, right? You're submitting sex to your husband instead of you're owning your sexual experience. You're getting your needs met. You're hopping on top if that's what need happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it doesn't. But so so many women carry so much shame and guilt over sex that all they ever do is missionary and they don't orgasm and you're just like this is not the point of life ladies and gentlemen there's so much more but okay but this is what happens when you write the female goddess out of the narrative and this you know then they start making sex bad and taboo instead of and there's also nothing to suggest in my research that she was seen as submissive to yahweh like they were worshipped in tandem, but she wasn't like his servant. They uh, there's one part where they walk. Deuteronomy says that they they come down the mountain together, to mm. like a king and a queen. It's not like a you submit to me. It's not like a king and his servant. It's a king and his queen, and they're both in their own power and they have their own rights and they're worshipped. Like she had four hundred prophets at one point. Um, let's see where does that. Kings 1, 18, 19 tells us that she had 400 prophets. So she was not like, she was not like, oh, this small little cult over here, this small little fertility cult that was a heretical of the Babylonians, because that's what the Catholics tell you. That's what the narrative, if you go read anything the Catholic Church has ever said about Asherah, you can find like really tiny blurbs about, oh yeah, it was a fertility cult of the Babylonians that was a false god. Well, but she had 400 prophets. David worshipped her. Solomon built a part of his temple for her so are you saying they got it wrong because they can't actually address that and then if you ask them so why did you change the part of the bible where it says that moses planted a tree in honor of asherah why did you change that part to say that he planted an asherah pole a type of tree because originally he planted it in her honor and then you were like no it was just a type of tree no there was no female goddess we didn't no there was no female goddess it's just very strange but I think they genuinely didn't think back then that anyone would ever go back and translate it. Wow. So. This I'm like learning so much right now. I'm like, oh my Me gosh. This is, 
Because this is really exciting, you know, to hear about this because, you know, we've known or we've had, I, and I think a lot of women have had, you know, this, this sort of intuitive knowing that the last few thousand years, it's been very patriarchal. Men have been in charge, but also on a spiritual level, we've had, we've been ruled by masculine energy and the, and the divine feminine energy has been very much repressed for a long time. And now I know that you also like to study astrology and and you talk about how we're moving into the age of Aquarius. With that in mind, do you see potentially this sort of rebirth and, and rising of the divine feminine energy again? So it's interesting that you say that because I didn't write down the exact passage, but my brain told me to write it down. So now I'm going to Google it. There's a passage in Revelation that everyone thinks of is talking about Mary, where it talks about a woman comes down from the heavens and steps on the head of the snake. Um, and it's a very uh, apocryphal. What is that word? Apocryphetical? I'm messing Something that like word that. up. I'm the worst you know person what? to ask for pronunciation. Right. Yeah. It's okay. Um, but it's very apocryphal, I think. Um, but anyway, it's about the end times, right? And this idea that this woman comes down from the heavens, steps on the head of the snake, and then things change. Um, I, hopefully people are familiar with that. You can go Google it. But anyway, so what's interesting to me about that passage is that it matches up with the third secret of Fatima. The third secret of Fatima predicts that an angel of justice is going to come down and uh, he's going to try to slay the world, but a woman is going to stop him with radiating light from her body. Um, and also traditionally is believed to be the Virgin Mary, but I don't think it has to be because um, <laughs> I think three farm children in Portugal, regardless of who appeared to them, would believe it was the Virgin Mary. And if they were shown a vision of, because she shows up to save the world, essentially, in their vision. She's radiating light and she stops the angel of justice from destroying everything. Um, and, but she also watches over as the Holy Father and bishops and a bunch of other people are executed. So I think this for, is actually foretelling uh, the end of the Roman Catholic Church, but children, the children being um Catholic farm children, of course, who would they go to but a priest? And so the story kind of got swallowed up by the matrix that is the Roman Catholic Church because they kept the third secret, uh, the third secret of Fatima a secret for a really, really long time. Our Lady appeared in 1917 and they didn't release it until I believe the 1990s after the assassination of Pope John Paul II, in which they said, oh, see, it was a really scary prophecy about the end of the church. But look, he survived the assassination attempt. This is what it was about. But the third secret of Fatima is not about an assassination attempt. It's about a mass execution and the, the destruction of an ancient city, which could be Rome, and an angel of justice being stopped from destroying the world by a great lady of light. So just I believe that something is going to change, yes, uh, and that divine feminine is rising. Um, what's interesting about TikTok this app that I'm on is that there are so many other people having these conversations at the same time. Um, there's so many people saying Ashra showed up in my meditation and I don't know, like I'd never heard this name before. It just appeared in my head. And so I looked it up and, and then I found out she was the female goddess of fertility. Like there's people talking about things that historically people like us have never gotten to talk about, let alone research or make up our own minds on. Um, and I personally had a very, very, uh, 
visceral spiritual awakening in which I felt like I met Mother Earth. And then later, like a couple months later, I learned the name Asherah and it like instantly clicked as like, that's who you met. Um, because part of my spiritual awakening uh, was almost like a vision, but um, essentially Asherah and I traveled through time together and we looked at Rome burning and the fall of Constantinople and how essentially men have been destroying everything with war and she's been behind the scenes rebuilding everything with love the whole time but she's reached a point at which she can't let us continue in our human errors she made this she made this joke she was like you can't be mad at humans for doing what humans do because humans do what humans do so if like she was like they're they're all essentially stuck in the same patterns because they're doing what humans do which is what's been patterned to them so they're mimicking what their parents mimicked who mimicked what their parents mimicked who mimicked so they're just picking up programming and they're not awake to who they are so it's like you can't be mad at them because they haven't awakened their god self but once you awaken your god self then everything changes so yeah um i think that something is coming or changing because in terms of spirituality, there's so many people talking about a female goddess who hasn't been talked about in 2000 years, who are not connected to each other. <laughs> She's just appearing in our meditations, in our, in, in our um, vision boards, you know? It's crazy to me that like everyone is talking to, about this at the same time and there's so much interest because you'd think that even five years ago, I feel like posting about Asherah on Facebook or something, no one would care, you know? But there's been this huge rise of interest in spirituality and in actually understanding where we came from and deconstructing our roots. So I think that there has to be a higher power at work in some way, raising the vibrations and raising the consciousness on this planet in order to wake people up. But so I also I'm believe, yes. I'm curious, is there some sort of connection between Mary, uh, Jesus's mother, and Asherah? I don't specifically know of one, but I think that Mary was very uh, demoted by the Bible, right? Like, I think she was treated by, like a leader. Um, there were, there were, uh, there were f gospels written by women that were just taken out of the narrative entirely in which, you know, the women were doing a lot more like the female deacons who just got written out, like I mentioned earlier. So I think that she pros quite probably had a role in the early church that was more akin to a female Pope and that they just pretended that that didn't happen or something, or that they never had a female leader come and, take her place after she passed away or, or was ascended into heaven right but i think that the idea that she wasn't a great spiritual leader is kind of ludicrous but they she isn't we don't talk about her that way right she barely appears in the gospels after jesus died but it's like i don't think mary would have just disappeared she lived for years and years after her son died like there's no reason to believe that she wasn't the one leading the way for the other women and you know being the head priestess or whatever that exactly looked like um so I'm sure she was performing functions like what an Asherah matriarch would have performed, but I'm not sure if she had a direct link. 
That's really fascinating because as you're saying that, I'm I'm thinking about it and I'm like, really, I don't remember any stories about Mary, the mother of Jesus, after Jesus she ascended disappears. into heaven. She's yeah. just there's no talk of what the rest of her life was like. But they did the same thing to Mary Magdalene and to the other women of the Bible. Like there's like uh they're the first ones who the angel appears to, right? After the resurrection. But then they disappear. I don't think that that's real life. I don't think that Mary Magdalene and the other women of the Bible who, because remember they were coming to anoint his body after the fact um, they had to wait one day because of the Sabbath. So they show up 5 a.m. on Sunday morning and the angel's like, they're not here anymore. Jesus is risen. But the first people to get the news are the women. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's by accident, but I think it is very much on purpose that they don't emphasize that. Right. That the women got the gospel first and the women were doing things as well. And they were running things and they they weren't treated like submissive little servants. That's not something that actually comes out until Paul. And Paul's the one who really Paul is a Roman who never met Jesus, who is heavily influenced by Greece, who comes bulldozing his way in and starts writing all of these bossy letters telling women to cover their heads and not wear jewelry. And <sighs> but he's following up on like uh Jesus was the exact opposite, right? There was um, when Mary Magdalene whipped out her hair to to uh, wash his feet with her hair, there were people who were scandalized and they were like, put that away. What is wrong with you? Like, oh, sexual nature, which like, I guess that was sexual for them, whatever. But they treat her like a whore because of that. And Jesus is like, leave her alone. She's anointing my feet. If this is what she wants to do, let her be. Um, but yeah, but just like Mary, Mary Magdalene and the other women of the Bible get pretty much written out after jesus dies and you're like but i don't think that's what happened i think men wrote the book and told us that that's what happened but there's not actually any reason to believe that they weren't equally active disciples and equally ministering especially to women because especially back then uh worship was often just gender segregated so if you were going to have if you were going to all be baptized naked yeah you're going to be gender segregated so, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm kind of curious because um, I grew up going like I went to high school. I'm not going to finish what their name is, name is but it's like <laughs> our, <la> don't <laughs> want to get sued, um, Our Lady of Blank, right? And that's tons of other churches, Our Lady of whatever. Um, and I know in my sophomore year of high school, one of our um, priest pastors, he was like obsessed with Mary. Like he was always talking about her. Um, and we even discussed in religion class, like how she's not really in the Bible. Like she, her name is, I don't even know, like her name's brought up like maybe like once. I'm not even sure, like we were looking and it's, she's barely in the, in the gospels. Um, so, I mean, I don't know, like what's with that? Like, why is it, it seems that some part of catholicism is like super into mary and they're like oh my god she's like almost as equal as god blah 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 but then you're you know seeing this issue where they've like basically removed her and her role from the bible yeah um i think that uh why did they do it i mean they were trying to take power away from women i think because they very much structured everything in society to the point where women were treated like property, you know? Like, I wonder, oh, go ahead. Yes. No, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, because I've wondered before, like, why don't we see more writings from women at that time? But actually, could women, could, were women even allowed to read and write back then? A lot of them weren't. The yeah, exactly. Like, wow. you had to be a noble woman to even have the privilege of learning how to read and write. And you probably didn't, even if you were a noble woman, because there was no reason for you to learn how to read and write. You were just going to make babies and do whatever else. They would teach some of them, you know, but not everyone and definitely not the peasants. They were completely dependent on the priests for any explanation of the gospel or anything like that which is i mean there was no printing press so there weren't it's not like there were a ton of books going around and books were very very difficult to produce because you had to hand write them right so it makes it sort of makes sense that the monks had it concentrated because um, the monks didn't have children they didn't have to they didn't have the same level of responsibilities so they could just sit in a room and write down the bible every day but they also could have been teaching people how to read but they chose not to and i think like uh the structure that rome took that the church took after constantine was pretty much exactly the same structure as the roman empire you know it's very patriarchal there's a man at the head um and i think they just really wanted women to believe that our place in society was to have babies and that was essentially it they, we really haven't been given any systemic power by the Roman Catholic Church ever. You, Your options were get married, become a nun, and unless you were uh, unless you were a noblewoman, your ability to join a convent, you know, that may or may not actually happen. But you didn't have the ability to own property, right? You didn't have the ability to go do your own thing. Um, they burned and killed women who tried to do their own thing and called them witches and heretics. Uh, you weren't allowed to practice any of the old pagan rites, right? Because remember, the Roman Catholic Church, the Holy Roman Empire, is what they called it after Constantine. They go on a crusade. They, they, you know, they take over all of Europe. But there were pagan civilizations living there. There were people living there who didn't necessarily want to be Christian, but they all became Christian because they just started killing everyone who wouldn't submit. And the Catholic Church romanticizes um, the Crusaders, the Crusades, whatever. Oh, they romanticize St. Patrick, too. It's so weird. Oh, I know. And, you know, for what are they, what is it, like the Catholic Halloween, All Saints Day, everyone's like dressed up <laughs> as a crusader um right the the mascot of my high school was the cruise i think no it was this yeah was this, that was the mascot of my school. college the crusader yeah it was this high this football homeschooled football team or whatever called the crusaders i'm like what the fuck did the crusaders do they just killed people and raped right women and just you know it's really weird everywhere and they claim, oh, they were fighting off the infidels, the Muslim invaders. Well, um, they also had a historic right to be in that land. And you guys were yeah. kind of the aggressors as well. And I'm pretty sure if Jesus had the choice between reclaiming a piece of the cross, right, and killing a bunch of people, he'd be like, just, we don't need the piece of the cross. Do you need me to die again? No one needs to die. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Like, this idea that Jesus would be down with the Crusades is one of, to me, the most ludicrous things in the world. He was a homeless man who said, give away all of your material possessions, and uh, spiritual wealth is the only thing that matters. But again, he was a migrant, didn't care about possessions, got out a whip and 
and beat the men in the temple, the sellers in the temple, who were acting in the way that the Christian churches and the Catholic churches act today, which is, you know, collecting money from tithing and desecrating his father's house. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really think that if Jesus encountered the Vatican, that he would literally take a whip to it and be like, you have desecrated <laughs> my father's home. There, I said, feed the widows. I said, feed the children. I said, take care of the orphans. And you have six billion. You have hordes of art. You have hordes of wealth. The Vatican is worth like billions of dollars. The exact opposite, the literal exact opposite of what Jesus said to do. And yet people are still convinced that they are the one true church. It's very strange. I said this once to my mother and she was like, I have to go now. (laughs) (laughs) She was like, I can't, I I have no comeback to that. But like the saints did it too. Pope Francis or not Pope Francis. I'm sorry. St. Francis. When St. Francis was around, he was hated by the popes and the nobility because um, he would tell them off. He was like, give away your shit. This is not what matters. He was very close to the animals. He was probably a vegan. I don't actually know that, but he was all about the animals, brother bear, brother squirrel, whatever. Like he called them his brothers and sisters and he wasn't afraid um, because he was raised in nobility. And then he cast off his fancy clothes when he had a spiritual awakening. He He was not afraid of telling the nobility off. He wasn't afraid of telling the Pope, like you're living in opulence while people starve. This is ridiculous. This is not you're supposed to be a spiritual leader and you're not serving anyone other than your own interests. Yeah. But then Catholics, after he died, they pretended he was totally cool at the church. That's what Catholics they always are the do. Most, the most materialistic people. And if Jesus came to earth, he'd shit a fucking brick. He'd be like, he really would. He would start a commune. <laughs> and he would be like, what the fuck do you need private property for? The earth is everyone's church. heritage. And then the Catholic Church would crucify him again. They call him a heretic. No, they literally, yeah, they would call him a heretic and say that he wasn't the real Christ, and the real Christ came two thousand years ago. We would literally watch history repeat itself. Damn! Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Wow. I feel like we have covered so much today. Before we wrap it up, though, uh, Margie, are there any other little tidbits on Asherah and just divine feminine and anything with church as well that you wanted to cover? Because I feel like we've really done quite a full circle. I love this. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like we've covered it all. Um, I would say that I believe that I personally believe that the divine feminine rising is about love returning to the planet because that's really... That's really what they took away over the last 2000 years. When you take away the mother goddess of fertility, what you do is you take away the abundance and, you know, the love and the idea that, you know, we're all brothers and sisters because they took away our mom and told us that we have a harsh father who's going to punish us if we do anything wrong. And then Mm. at the whole, the whole time there's been a mother goddess going, that's not what love is. You dumb fuck. Love is seeing yourself in another. It's not self-sacrifice. It's not punishing yourself. It's not any of those things. It's seeing yourself in a mother in, in another. And who else does that better than a mother? You came out of me. Of course you are me. I understand whatever it is that you're going through because you're me. We're this we're one. We're the same. And it's a very different message from the message we've been getting of you're a damn sinner from <laughs> no i'm not worthy so you should have come under my roof like it's the complete opposite message mothers say very different things and i feel like we've just been shamed by the patriarchy for too damn long we've literally pissed her off that she has no choice but to wake everyone up 
which is why she's appearing in all of our meditations. I don't think that's a coincidence. Wow. Wow. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <I'm>, this, <laughs> this conversation needed to happen. Yeah. Yeah. This is amazing. Um, I'm really sitting with this because I've never heard of Asherah before today, actually. I had no idea. I've, I've seen her name. I've seen her name. Yeah. But I never really thought about it. I was just like, wait, who is like, who is this again? Like, what are we talking about today? Um, but, you know, it's really, it's really powerful that we're talking about this because yeah. we're, we're, we're really spreading the, the truth. Yeah, we, we're yeah. really living in the age of information because we finally have biblical scholars who are not affiliated with a particular religion. Yes. We finally have biblical scholars who are like, I'm going to tell you it the way it is, not the yeah. way someone not the way we want you to believe. We're finally yeah. getting unbiased sources like uh, one of the women who so some of the information that I've collected on Ashra came from a woman who publishes a lot about her on TikTok, who it. Um, and I'll, I'll find her name and so you can link it in the description if anyone else wants to look. But uh, one of the things she talks about is I'm not telling you to worship Asherah. I'm not saying that, you know, she's the one true God. I'm saying, why the fuck did they take her out? And we deserve to know about her. Like, it's not fair that they take like they decide for us that this isn't even going to be a cultural conversation for 2000 fucking years. That's crazy to yeah. me. So. Do you think that deep in the Vatican and the archives or wherever that they have all this information about her and tons? Of I other think they have like and... the actual history of the world in the Vatican archives. Yeah, I think there's a lot of hidden shit. I think they've got like the history that they've been hiding. I think they've got copies of the books that they tell us were destroyed. I would not be surprised at all. Wow, we should. We should pull like an Ocean's Twelve and break in, right? <laughs> oh my God, go in there in our like black costumes, right? Have our swords out. <laughs> I wonder if there's a way to subpoena them. I don't think they'd comply with a court order because <laughs> they're their own government. I don't know if you knew that, mm. but the Vatican is yeah. its own government, so they're not even technically subservient or whatever to Italy. They're the smallest country in the world because they're they're tiny, but Vatican City is its own sovereign state. Even wow. still, the Roman Church is still its own country, and people think it's a religion still. No, it's a country. It's a political party. It's always been political. Mm -hmm. But they've been masquerading as a religion for a really long time. Wow. Wow. Well, before we wrap up, can you give us again your um, your tag names or your usernames on Instagram and TikTok? And we're going to link it in the show notes as well for everybody. Awesome. Um, it is uh, i.margie.nation on both Instagram and TikTok. So imargination with dots instead of periods. I mean... Yeah with periods instead of blanks yeah <laughs> got right. it i dot margie dot right <laughs> got it all right so everybody listening go and follow her because i am a huge fan of your tiktok me too thank you mm. every time i open my by the way every time i open tiktok you're always like the first video that pops <laughs> they know that we're friends that's hilarious i know i love it it does that to me too when when you have a new one yours always comes up on my homepage. Oh. I never have to like go hunt for yours on your profile. They always show up. <laughs> yeah. They know. 
they they're like, oh, they joined at the same time and they were each other's first followers. They must be friends. Right. <laughs> I swear the algorithm knows everything. It's hilarious. Right. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. We definitely want to have you come back because we have so much other, so many other topics to cover as well, you know, mainly about our families and childhood mm -hmm. and what it was like being Catholic girls in the Catholic church. So oh, we have lots to talk about for sure. Plenty. <laughs> yes. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. We believe in the power of taking even one minute a day to breathe and find gratitude in the little things. Wherever you are, if you are able, close your eyes, take a deep breath in and out, and reflect on something that you are grateful for today. We are so honored that you could join us in this discussion today, and we hope you have a beautiful week. If you enjoyed today's Unrefined Woman podcast episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. To check out other episodes, please visit our website at unrefinedwoman.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. To stay in the loop and receive access to additional content, please follow us on TikTok, username unrefinedwoman, and on Instagram at unrefinedwomanpodcasts. Special thanks to Walter Birdsong for the album cover, Margaret Rainey for our podcast music, Andrew Cioni for our gratitude prompt music, and Sean Butcher for editing and production. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next week.